Peace Building Podcast. My name is Susan Coleman. I'm a global coach, mediator, and the host of this podcast. Join me as I interview today's most creative, courageous, and sometimes outrageous mediators, coaches, entrepreneurs, and out-of-the-box thinkers whose work, whether intended or not, is building peace. Tune in for pure inspiration as we explore the best stories, the best practices, the best ideas of a new world emerging. So I have with me today Sandra Janeff, who is um, really in a class by herself. I don't think there's anybody quite like her, particularly when you talk about strategies to build common ground, except for maybe her her, her partner, who's now retired, uh, Marv Weisbord. She's um, hugely intelligent, um, but hugely insightful. You know, she just is a very wise person and a, and a very powerful leader. Uh, I, yeah, I've been, I was drawn to Future Search forever because I was coming out of the conflict resolution field. And it's not, she'll say it's not something that is really presented as a conflict resolution tool, but of course it really is. I mean, it really is an incredible conflict resolution tool, an incredible peace building tool. Um, I remember, um, I'm going to let Sandra talk more about Future Search and what it is, but it's essentially a process that gets, it's systemic change, it's getting the whole system in the room to plan a collaborative future together. Um, and, and really it's a, it's a process to create healthy systems. And Lord knows if we, if we were using it throughout the planet and creating healthy systems throughout the planet, we, we would have a very different planet. So, um, so she's, she's pushed the boundaries, I think, of many things. And, uh, I, I look forward to hearing her talk about that. I think what's really really interesting is that it's not just a tool or technique or what process it's really talking about so much about conditions that you need um that set you up for success um so i'm going to um, be interested i know i know the listeners are going to be really interested in, in what those conditions are um you know personally i remember i remember a long time ago uh in my um in my uh, formation of my professional life, I was walking along. I think I was, I was, I was, I walked along a lake with Sandra. I think it must have been in, in, um, in the Schwangunk Mountains at Mohonk or something like that. But I, I remember trying to formulate how to talk about what I do, which has always been, it's kind of been a life, a lifelong process. And, um, because I didn't want to just focus on conflict resolution or resolving conflict. I wanted to focus on the positive thing that I was trying to create by the work. And of course, Sandra just said simply just, you know, just talk about common ground. And, um, and of course I started doing that and I've done it ever since. And, um, and you know, there's other things. It's just, uh, I, I teach a course. I think I've mentioned that at uh, NYU, the, the center for global affairs and uh, her books are some of the most, Articulate. Of course, there's the, the book that describes the future search process, which is is very clear and um, well worth taking a look at. But then my my very favorite book uh, that I tell everybody my the best book out there on facilitation in my mind is is Don't Just Do Something Stand There um, that she wrote with Marv Weisbord. And then the most recent I think it's her most recent book, but I'm sure she'll clarify if it isn't is. Um, something that's called lead more control less and it's really directed not so much for facilitators and consultant types or people running meetings but 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 leaders themselves so i found myself last night actually when i was working with this group doing one of the kinds of interventions that i do and i was you know talking to the leader who was having a very hard time pulling a a difficult group together that has a huge impact on a lot of people. And I said, okay, will you read a book? Uh, and if you read a book, I'm going to give you this book, Lead More, Control Less. So, and finally, you know, I think uh, the other day uh, 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 with my class, my actually working with groups class, uh, we had to uh, leave the group with, with one word or phrase. And I picked out something that Sandra has said to me long ago, which is just... Uh, and I don't know if she still uses it, but just, um, you know, just love and do what you will. 
And I think fundamentally that gets you to the heart of like how you work with groups of people and how you make a difference. So anyway, Sandra, it is an amazing, she's a hard person to catch up with. So I'm really happy to have her because she's a pretty busy person. Um, I do want to say before I get her voice on this, just I want to read um, a little bit uh, from her bio. And of course, I'm going to put her bio up on up on the website. But uh, Sandra Janoff has 25 years of experience planning, designing, and facilitating whole systems interventions in the public and private sector. Uh, she co-developed the principle-based methodology called Future Search, a process used worldwide to get the whole system in the room, focusing on the future and creating values-based action strategies. Uh, she, can, Sandra, consults to organizations and communities in Asia, Africa, Europe, India, North and South America, Australia, and New Zealand. That's why she's a hard person to catch up with. And she has worked on a vast array of complex social, technical, and economic issues and has taught Future Search principles to over 4,000 people. Uh, she directs the Future Search Network, uh, an international service organization formed to bring Future Search principles to communities. I always like this anywhere in the world for whatever people can afford. And most recently, I won't repeat about the books because I just told you about those, but most recently she won a, a really, she was really uh, deeply, she was honored in a very important way by receiving in 2016, the Organization Development Network's Lifetime Achievement Award, which is um, a huge thing. And I'm gonna post on the website a YouTube video of the presentation to her and her comments about receiving the award because um, it's it's uh, it's you know it's a great thing I, I if I, I'm sure all of us would like to win an award like that in our lifetime for that kind of being able to have brought that kind of service to to uh, our fellow human beings so Sandra hello thanks for joining me on the Peace Building podcast um, you there I'm here and I'm smiling oh um, good. <laughs> And uh, I, I want to know this person you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you do know her. I think you do. And it's all it's all true. So is, is there anything, though, that you'd like to add um, in terms of just having the listeners know? Again, I'm going to put I'm going to post your bio and all that stuff on the website. But is there anything that you want to say up front that I didn't really include? Um, I'm thinking long and hard. I can't imagine right now uh, what to add. <laughs> In, in terms of um, just uh, that beautiful presentation. So, so let me just say thank you. Okay. So, Sandra, uh, for those of us working in this fuzzy world of organizational consulting, I know um, it would be really super interesting for the listeners just to hear the short answer of how you describe the complexity of what you do. Um. Short answer, here it, here it comes, Susan. Uh, what I say is I co-developed the Future Search methodology, um, which is a non-traditional way of doing strategic planning because it brings stakeholders together in a setting where there's a great deal of dialogue and the, uh, the opportunity to discover a shared vision and an action agenda. Um, I also say that I direct Future Search Network uh, where we apply future search principles in communities around the world, and as you said, for whatever people can afford. Um, so when I describe what I do, it's about supporting people in all sectors of society in finding their way through the social and the economic issues that they face. I, I'd okay. like to take yeah, I'd like to take one more bit here because there's a, a quote, an experience I had with a a client of mine uh, named <clears throat> Ralph Carrier, who is a UNICEF regional director. He um, convened uh, Future Search because his concern was improving education for Indonesian school children. Um, brought together, it was sponsored by government ministries. He had a big, diverse group of stakeholders, including the children, um, to decentralize secondary schooling, but here's how we opened the meeting. Uh, I will never forget the moment, and I carry the words. He said, 
considering how much time and resources we spend in meetings, it <laughs> should shock us that we don't get more important work done. <laughs> he says meetings are where we confront and resolve the problems and issues society faces. And if we cannot transform our ability to act in meetings, how can we tra expect transformation in society? Wow. Um, I know. Beautiful. It, it was, yeah, it beautiful. It was a wow. And that meeting actually led to 40 interactive meetings around the country that put local education in the hands of the communities. And so I say my mission is running meetings that matter. That's beautiful. That's really beautiful. It actually makes me remember back the beginning of my career when I found this small yellow book that whose title was Making Meetings Work. Mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> and that really drew me in. So listen, uh, your name is, you know, synonymous globally with this, uh, the, you know, this concept of future search, this process of future search. Uh, could you, um, you know, maybe by to help the listeners understand uh, what it is and how it works, maybe you could jump into a story or a classic example um, that might illuminate it. Be happy to. Um, I Sometimes I think, you know, you ask for the short answer. And, of course, the longer answer is talking about the principles. Because Future Search is a set of principles. It's a meeting methodology based on the principles. Um, and uh, you tell me. I, I can describe the principles and then tell, my, tell the story that brings that to life. You go, go ahead. Whatever makes sense to you. Okay. Yeah, the principles... Um, there are four. The first is getting the whole system in the room. And it's the idea that if we want people to really understand and take responsibility for the system they work in, they need to experience it for themselves. Um, we call it systems experiencing, um, yeah. as opposed to conceptualizing or doing systems thinking, because people, you don't get this from presentations, from, re from reports. People have to be present uh, to one another. And even more, it's in order for the system to change, people have to interact with people who were part of the environment and key to their success. Hence the, the notion of open systems. Because when you're when the same people talk to each other, then uh, we only perpetuate the kind of conditions that we're trying to get out from under. You know, the biggest frustration and the reason why people are cynical about meetings is not because of who's present, but because of who's missing. Yeah, that makes I, a lot of sense. I, yeah, I know. You hear that every time. And it's the it's painful to hear mm -hmm. people's reaction to oh, another meeting. So. What we do is we assure that we have the whole system there. And by that, we mean people with authority, with resources, with expertise, with information. And we say with need, meaning those will be impacted by the outcome. Fabulous. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because when you get this cast of characters together, everyone understands the issues at a level, level that none uh, understood it before. And, and, with that kind of understanding in the system, people are, are capable of action that they weren't capable of before, which, which surprises, obviously pleases uh, everyone because they are doing what they came to do. Um, okay, so the that's the first principle. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. It's getting the. It's basically the idea of getting the whole system in the room. Getting a, the a, whole system mm -hmm. in the room. A and revolutionary that, idea, really. You know, yeah, in its simplicity. The, yeah. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is. It turns conventional strategic planning upside down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that that when I rattled off and we say it all the time, authority, resources, expertise, information and need that came to us um, as how do we describe whole systems? And if you think about it, it's the kind of collection of people who can make decisions in that meeting and not have to go out and ask permission afterwards. Um, so they're all there. And then one last thing, Susan, I think you're going to like it. You probably already know it. A, a um, colleague of ours called up and they said, you know, we hear you saying these words 
and I wrote them down and I looked at the first letter of each, uh, A-R-E. Yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> and they came up with the two words, R-N. So that's a good acronym to remember that the right people are in the room. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. All right. So the second but principle? There's a second principle because it's first who's there. And the second principle is about what they do when they're together. And um, it's, it's about enabling people to understand the system in new ways that's based on reality and not on the assumptions they carry in their heads. <laughs> and we use the metaphor of the blind man and the elephant. And I think a lot of people know it by now. But every time I'm in a room, I discover there are people who haven't heard it. And I'll tell it quickly because I love telling it and it resonates. Do, do you know it's in? I do. And yeah, I do. In fact, I have a drawing made of it um, that I should share with you sometime because it's a beautiful drawing. But Aww. tell the tell the story because it's a great, yeah, yeah. It's a great well, it's, story. It's an old Sufi tale. And it's and it it's written as a poem, uh, was written as a poem by a, um, a British man I don't, and uh, somewhere in the 1800s. And um, it, it goes like this. It's about six blind men and they uh, go out to find what an elephant is like and fall against the elephant. And everyone grabs a part. And the first man who has his arms around the leg says, aha, I know an elephant is like a tree. But then there's the second man and he has his hands all over this the elephant's trunk, which is swinging, and he says, you're wrong, you're wrong, an elephant is like a, a snake, <laughs> which is wriggling. But the third man is at the tail, and what he feels, and then says, let me tell you, an elephant is like a rope. The fourth has the, the tusk, and he's saying, the elephant is like a spear. The fifth has the ear that's swinging, and he says, an elephant's like a fan. And the last man has fallen against the side of the elephant. And he says, an elephant is like a wall. <laughs> and I love it. Mm -hmm. And in the poem, the last couple lines, it says, they argued loud and strong because while each was in the right, they were all in the wrong. And when I... <laughs> I doesn't, this, that, doesn't this say it all, you know? <laughs> Oh, and when I tell that story, mm. there nods, the heads are nodding, because each of us believes that the nature of the system, as they did, they thought the nature of uh, the beast was just a larger version of their part. Mm -hmm. And that's how we live in our systems. Yeah. We know what we do. And to think bigger, we just extrapolate what we do into a larger version. And in fact as we take from the story, um, the elephant is the complexity that we often are not aware of, a richness that we're often not connected to. And in the Future Search meeting, we have the opportunity to put together the pieces of this elephant or the system to get a reality-based uh, reality understanding of what is going on. And how do you describe, do you, you describe this as like looking at all of the parts of the system? Yeah, well, the methodology itself enables, um, uh, I, I mean, I just tell the story mm -hmm. at the beginning of the meeting, but you don't have to hammer home any of these um, concepts because people experience it. They, people are learning together. We differentiate the system so people can understand the parts, and then we have an, in, an opportunity to integrate the system to uh, bring all of the parts together in, in new discoveries. And I just want to say, uh, you know, um, that concept of differentiation and integration, I've learned a lot from Sandra about that. It's such a powerful concept, and uh, we don't have time to get into it here, but her books really elaborate all of this in so much more detail. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you about those listeners at the end. Of, at the end. We'll have that on the website, so you can really go deeper if you want to. Um, 
All right. So that's great. So, and and I'll just put in here that that kind of learning takes time. Mm-hmm. And again, what yeah. differentiates future search is we get the whole system there and take the time that it needs to learn together before we go into action. Because obviously, when when you don't have these opportunities, you're just acting on what you already know, yeah. which. Uh, you know, isn't transformative. Right. Um, we we could really slow down to speed up, in other words. <laughs> it's so mm-hmm. true, Susan. Mm. It really is. Mm. Um, the third principle is about putting the problems and the conflicts in the background and the focus on what people are ready, willing, and able to do in the foreground. So we say it's focusing on the future and common ground. And when we put common ground in the foreground, um, it doesn't mean we push anything under the rug. Um, The conflicts and the problems are valid information. Uh, People can bring up anything and discuss it. But the rule of this game is that they don't have to be action agenda items. Mm. They're information. It's important for people to, to have. But we move from asking what went wrong and how do you fix it to what do you want to do and who wants to work together to make it happen mm-hmm. and that's a shift yeah yeah it's beautiful and it's it's very synonymous with with a, a mediation principle of focusing right. on the future um right. and i yeah it's um it's also i i again i could say so much about my own experience with sandra of, of this and how much you know, there's so many perceptions of such a wide array of difference. And then you do this kind of process and it gets it gets more narrow. It's not to say that everything gets resolved, but a lot of things that are perceived as polar polarized issues, actually people discover that, hmm, in fact, maybe they're not as polarized as, as they thought. And um, so that's a super interesting part of the process, I think. Um, and, and, and the other point is that you don't have to resolve every difference in order to work together and those things that you share as important and in communities people may hold ideological differences political differences um you know stances uh, based on religious beliefs that are really deep differences but that doesn't have to get resolved in in order for them to work on on the safety for their kids in the playgrounds and on the streets. Yeah, what a beautiful concept. Yeah, what a beautiful idea. Yeah. All right, so the... Um, the But the fourth principle Mm -hmm. um, really is about people taking responsibility for themselves and the action they're ready to take. And, And we set things up so that they make their own discoveries, cross the boundaries that kept them apart, decide what they want to do, how they can collaborate going forward, and 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 act on it. So it's uh, it really is a philosophy or a practice of how we are in relationship to to the system. But we manage the conditions under under which they work. They do the work. Their decisions and their going forward is theirs. Beautiful. So. Um whole system, looking at the whole elephant, uh, putting problems and conflicts aside, focusing on common ground in the future, and allowing the group to take responsibility of themselves. I, I don't know if I listed that or named that last one the the way you would articulate it, but something... No, you, t- you did it. Okay. That's good. <laughs> so could you... The other thing, yeah, yeah, the other thing I'll just um, drop in here is that the methodology itself that brings these principles to life is the one that we developed together is a two and a half day journey of five tasks. So it's looking at the past and understanding uh, the stories that brought us to this place, exploring the present uh, more deeply than what is typically done, uh, creating preferred futures, futures people aspire to, Uh, believe in, dream about, and are ready, willing, uh, and want to make happen, and then discovering the common ground agenda, and then translating that to action. Beautiful. So I'm wondering if you could, and probably we don't have time for you to be too elaborating about this, but if you could um, just uh, 
dig into a, a specific story that might bring bring some of this to life for the listeners and how this you know what this looks like? Yeah, um, I have a story. It, it I have a couple of stories that just. You probably have so many stories, well, but I have a lot but, of yeah. stories. But the, but the, and and in every experience, there is learning. If I'm if I'm not learning something, I I question. Right. But I learn something every time. Um, I have I have this experience with with people in communities and organizations. But this learning was a big one. So I'll tell you a story um, that uh, we. Oh, by the way, I want to say we, Marv Weisbord and I, uh, were business partners for 25 years. He's retired now. Uh, and um, a lot of uh, the work that we did, many of, of these, both developing the, the methodology and experiences together, I'll say we, um, and that's who I mean. Uh, we were invited to, there's a community on the north shore of Oahu in Hawaii called Ko'olaloa. And um, this community in particular has the highest population of Native Hawaiians and the highest incidence of diabetes and teenage pregnancies, children dropping out of school, alcohol abuse, and so on. And, um, you know, decades before they were integrated fishing, farming, and hunting communities, but their way of life was destroyed by Western influence, mm. and we know we know that story. The story that has played itself out. Uh, Sandra, who who invited you? Could you say it's always interesting yeah. to know how you come into a system like you right? Know. Well, how you come in is a great question. Um, the Queen Emma Foundation, which is a um, a foundation that was that uh, the, one of the last Hawaiian queens started to ensure the 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 health of the Native Hawaiian population. So. That organization wanted to do something about this, and in fact, they were going to build a clinic on in this community. And an amazing man named Hideo Murakami, who was a vice president, went into the you know went uh, created, set up these town meetings, town hall meetings, to say, "Well, you know, we have funds here, obviously. What do you want?" <laughs> and in each of those meetings. People were saying, what we really want is to reconnect with our traditional values. Mm. We've lost them. Our children hardly connect to them. And they really are about healthy body, mind, and spirit. And he, Hideo, heard, he had heard about Future Search, and he called us up. That's how, that was how that happened. Okay. And he, mm -hmm. But he also came with a, an, a couple of um, residents, community residents, to us over in Philadelphia, the mainland, uh, to check us out. <laughs> and we had a great meeting in in here in Philly, um, but it, somehow they knew that we could support them and that we were not um, to... Uh, I don't even, I, I, whatever his assumptions were about quote-unquote consultants. Um, so he invited us over. I went, actually. Uh, I made that trip um, and found myself uh, in a meeting with what became the planning group for the future search. Um, but I'm sitting around the table with the residents, and there were um, Hawaiians and Chinese people with Chinese background, Japanese, Fiji, uh, Samoan, European descent, etc. And uh, I'm welcomed, uh, introduced, everyone's introduced, and they ask about future search. So I describe future search, and I do my 15, 20, I don't know how long I talked, talking about the principles, talking about the design, blah, blah, blah. And when I finish, I am looking at the group, and one of the people around the table was a Native Hawaiian elder. And she was patiently listening, and she was smiling, and she says to me calmly, she says, Sandra, we have a word that describes what you are saying. <laughs> and I thought, oh, word. And so I said, 
well, what is the word? That's what I, I asked her, what is the word? And she said, Laulima. And I asked, well, what does it mean? And she says, you know, in a very knowing, beautiful way, she said, it takes many hands to do a task. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and wow. I realized then that what I was bringing to them, quote unquote, was a way of working that they had known from the beginning of time. Yeah. Hmm. And I learned it again. Mm-hmm. I learned that there's nothing new on the planet. Mm-hmm. It's all old wine and new bottles. Mm-hmm. And that I don't have the only model of reality. We all have different ways of seeing the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but we know in doing this work, and this is a basic premise of what we are doing to build a temporary planning community uh, in the in Future Search, in the Future Search meeting, is um, experiencing that when my reality and your reality become part of our shared reality, then we can have good dialogue. Mm. Wow. And that's what Andy Malia opened my eyes to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we went on to run a two-and-a-half-day Future Search, um, and the, the actions that came out of that were just spread throughout the community. And one of the one of the most important things was there had been a lot of um, animosities and divisions of the seven towns in this community um, that shared a, a, a shopping center, a school, and a hospital, among other things. But one woman said afterwards, just the subtle, sh- subtle but critical shift is we crossed each other's paths. And the planning group that started then still exists. Today. Uh, today. T- people, wow. People uh, move uh, on and off. Sorry, how many, years, how many years ago is that? Over 10 years wow. ago. Wow. Wow. That's and amazing. Mm-hmm. It was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they, they are a 501c3 now, which is a nonprofit, apply for funding, and do everything from road improvements, health fairs on the in the hospital grounds of uh, uh, bringing future search into the school for the curriculum it just goes on and on and on they just began to integrate a whole systemic strategic planning methodology as a result of this something like that at you saying it yeah. absolutely very cool and that's and that's the key mm-hmm. it's not the three-day meeting uh with the explosion of energy which obviously is critical but the future search starts in the planning. And uh, when we are pushing the boundaries of who's there and how long people are in dialogue together and what it means to have that kind of learning opportunity so that you're not just bringing in what's on the top of your head, what assumptions you carry, it really under, you undo assumptions and come down to what's really real. And those kinds of ways of working, when they become part of the system, uh, really transform. And transform, transformation to us means um, uh, in creating the capacity to do, as a result, what you couldn't do before. So it's about increasing capacity. Yeah. And yeah, and amazing. You know, I think so many meetings, you know, they, they, they create some momentum or no momentum or some momentum, but that just speaks for itself that 10 years later, because of course, it's all about in the end of the day, it's about what happened as a result. It's not what happens in, it's what happens in the room, but it's really what happens as a result. And that's, uh, that's amazing um, testimony to the kind of impact that can occur. Yeah, it's, 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 it's wonderful. So, Sandra, I'm just keeping this going because, uh, you know, I always have to stick with the, a little bit of time, time pressure. Um, do you, you know, a question that I always I think is very interesting for listeners is I'm, I want to backpedal for a second and just uh, if you would share, um, you know, I guess a couple of things that maybe come to your mind on your both your personal and professional journey that 
that got you to where you, you know, got you to do this kind of work? Um, I mean, I often ask it as the, the seeds that got planted in you, but uh, I think you understand what I'm asking. You just just some highlights of your personal and professional journey that that really informed why you chose or who you have become today. Well, I <laughs> I'm smiling because I've heard you ask this question and I kind of expected you to ask this question. Um, what are the seeds? Where did all of this start? And so guess what? Uh, when I thought about it, I went all the way back. <laughs> so I'll take you back. It's interesting, me. right? Sometimes to think about that. like, Oh, mm, my gosh. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think I'd ever really friends it this the way I'm going to tell you now. Um, I mean, I, I think, of course, I... I want to understand more about my family dynamics to know more about myself. But here we're going. And and when I thought about this, Susan, I went back to the argument. I'm sorry, you went back to the where? I, I, I'm, I'm laughing because uh. um, I, I never shared this in a podcast. Um, I went back to the arguments that uh. my brother was always having with my parents. Mm. Um, he, my brother's eight years older than me and he was a rebellious teenager mm. and I was the good kid. <laughs> I was a kid when he was a teenager and I'd be in that negotiation thing. I'd always be running back and forth between him and whatever parent he was arguing with, trying to get them to stop. Um, I just remember, of uh, the, the feeling of the, they're they're banging heads against each other it just and of course the chaos that that creates and it's an i'm right no i'm right you know who's gonna win who's gonna lose that made me as a kid kind of nuts i'm trying to 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 peace make peace and i don't even i never called it negotiating um but there it was and truth is i wasn't always successful um but he grew up and moved out of the house. So if you want to think of structure change, <laughs> and, and everything was great. His relationship to my parents was great. The house was peaceful. It was, it was terrific. <laughs> um, it was amazing. Um, but I think that that's when I went, when he, from, from being a good kid to my own version of rebelliousness. And I, I remember I started rejecting rules that didn't, makes sense to me um and if we jump to my first professional experience but just i want to say so you yeah. you kind of had this formative uh informal mediation experience yeah. early on early on early, early on yeah early on mm. more than i wanted mm -hmm. um but it's interesting because my first professional experience which was a teacher as a teacher in a small alternative school it uh it it fit uh, it, I was aligned with, with it, and I'll tell you why. And I couldn't have really done anything else because I know myself as a counter-dependent person. I really do. My impulse is to question authority or to make sure that the leader I'm following is the person I want to follow. I'm, I could be a really good follower, but only with a leader that I believe in. And so I would never have made it in any other kind of organization in any with any kind of bureaucracy. But the setting was perfect because it was a small school. We, the staff, we were young, we were hippies, the students were outside of the mainstream. Um, but what was just profoundly formative or fundamental for me is that we created structures and processes that met the changing needs of the kids. And we could do that because we had autonomy. And I experienced that under these conditions, um, that these we and the students could be amazingly creative and grow up and uh, learn. And I didn't have the words then, but my focus has always been on structure change yeah. and not on behavior change. Yeah. Because um, I learned early on, I couldn't change my brother's behavior. But yeah. but I know now that I you can't change anyone's behavior, but you can change the structures under which they are living and working, and that influences who they are. And I think people. that's such a powerful concept, and one that I 
I think I see emerging more and more. I'm hoping that it is, but it's it's uh, because there's so much effort on on behavior change uh, still. Yeah. But yeah, the, creating the conditions, creating those structures that actually allow people to perform at their highest is is right. a really powerful concept. You're right, and this and the and our you know what we focus on for the changes in structure for these meetings are the right people, the length of time, uh, and and as you said, how you first differentiate the system to learn before you integrate, because you can't integrate unless you've differentiated. Yeah, people will drive first. you crazy forever if they can't say who they are first, you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> good. Yeah, that's, you got it. Okay, so so I want to keep. Uh, I'm hoping that in the time that we have, that you could tell another story, um, mm-hmm. and uh, because this is the peace building podcast, that you could pick a story that is. Uh, I mean, every every time you get human beings together, there's some conflict usually, yeah. <laughs> but but something that is more obviously in a conflict situation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's another experience that I had that changed my life. Um, and I and I want to tell you about that. I I also want to say, you know, when we think about future search and its applications in other places, um, there. I want to just name one or two. Uh, they in in there. Oh, this is a conflict, believe me, situation. But it, it's not the story I want to tell. In Derry, in Northern Ireland. They had had um, decades, as we know, of sectarian violence, the, the, the troubles, they called it. But right at the uh, end of the troubles, beginning of the peace agreement, um, they brought people together to create a unified regeneration plan or an integrated economic development plan in that city, which was profound. Um, and uh, other thing, I mean, you know, future searches on mergers, that we've done of, of two organizations or the issue of sustainability. And, and what was the one you did uh, with, the, with the air traffic controllers? That was Yeah, the FAA, um, gridlock in the skies. They came to us and say if we, said if we don't do anything, um, the, the, the planes, the, the plane traffic, which had diminished in 2001, was now up again and, and even more so, more people traveling and buying planes. And there had to be some collaboration amongst uh, everyone in the system to shift their patterns of first come, first serve. And we had everyone there. And that was another, uh, it wasn't that it was conflict as in um, a a literal war, but, you know, it was an economic um, tension because everyone, every one who's flying a plane commercially or for business needs to get where they're going on time. And our skies are very crowded. <laughs> yeah, really. So, <laughs> I know. But the story that I do tell this often because every time I tell it, it reinforces what I learned. And it was in a conflict situation. And it started with a phone call from um, a a man named Sharad Sapra, and he was regional director of um, UNICEF's Operation Lifeline Sudan. And he calls up and it was, he describes, it was still, so this was in 1999 actually, uh, during the North-South Sudan Civil War that had been going on for 17 years and he says... So there was no South Sudan yet at this point. No, it was just, no uh, yeah. way before, because the mm-hmm. peace agreement was signed in 2005. Right. But this is five years before that. Mm-hmm. And um, and he is saying, um, I can't do anything about the peace, but I have to do something about development because a generation of children are lost and he had heard about future search. He said, would you run a future search for the children of South Sudan? And I said... Well, it gives me goosebumps thinking about something uh-uh. like that. Yeah. I said, yes. <laughs> yes, I certainly will. <laughs> Tell me where to be and when. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but he, uh, this was so brilliant. He said, 
good, but we have to do a future search for the children first, and then we'll bring the children and their vision into the adult conference. And I, brilliant idea. I said, yes, of course. Now, he really conceptualized something that we weren't doing. I mean, we were bringing, or children were part of education conferences, community conferences, um, but this concept of having the children uh, have their own experience um, by themselves before and then carry that into the adult conference was lovely and amazing. So I arrived in Nairobi. We couldn't go into Sudan because the war was raging. But we were in a conference center in Nairobi in Kenya. And the children arrived to this place. They had been air transported out of the country, then on a bus, hours and hours and hours. And when they came into this room, they were really, they were dusty, they were glazed. It was like they'd been... Shell-shocked, probably. Shell-shocked, mm. truly. Um, I introduced myself to each one. Um, and and then that afternoon, the next morning, they were given khakis and sweatshirts and rooms and food and etc. of course. And it was the, I watched these young children, there were 40 of them, and they were ages 12 to 18. And I watched them seeing, uh, not just televisions and telephones, but seeing towels and running Mm. waters and beds. Mm -hmm. And for the first time, and you can only imagine, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And by the way, heart-wrenching, really. Totally. Mm. um, You know, again, another reality, their reality. I actually remember because I've done some work in South Sudan and I one of the images that still sticks with me to this day is arriving in Juba and the capital of South Sudan and seeing a young like uh, oh just maybe 13 year old woman sitting a girl sitting next to a pile of water bottle because there's no place to deal with garbage and just sitting there in the middle of dust and water bottles and nothing else and just wow what a you know just heart-wrenching kind of reality that people have to live with i Um, know and even in the face of that they have dreams yeah do or or do they yeah right and um it, it you know bringing that understanding of what their reality is and here we are in this conference center in nairobi and the opening of the future search for these 40 children are sitting in a circle. Um, I, oh, I don't know if I said this. Maybe I did a few minutes ago. There's a video of this on futuresearch.net. No, good. Okay. Yeah. So uh, if they just yeah, if the listeners just says, go to futuresearch.net, they'll, they'll find it? Yeah, the children of Southern Sudan. Okay. Um, but here we are. Here, there I was. There we were together. The children in the circle, um, all looking at me. I'm looking at them. Susan, I had no idea where to start. <laughs> I had no idea. I, up to that moment, I kept thinking, what the heck? Yeah. What, what, what am I going to say? Because I'll tell you the truth. When I start a future search, I have a line. And it goes like this. Let me tell you how this meeting is different from other meetings you've attended. Mm-hmm. Right? And then I launch. <laughs> well, that wasn't going to fly. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, you know, it's just if the pausing and the breathing. Because up from inside of me came these words. I looked at them. I looked at their eyes. They were looking at my eyes. I said, you are the future of your country, and your voice is important. And I'm staring at them, and I thought, oh, that's the message I wanted to deliver. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. But then I, I paused, and I said, how many people understand what you <laughs> <I> just said? <laughs> good, and, Sandra. That was a good one. <laughs> it's like, right? Mm. And, and, and two hands go up. Right. I, oh, gosh. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. And there were six languages in the room. Yeah. yeah. And there were translators. So I said, translate. Tell the person next to you what I just said. So they start to talk. And I said it again. You are the future of your country, 
your voice is important. How many understand what I said? <laughs> and like 10 hands go no. up. And no. this went on and yeah. on. I kept repeating oh. it. And they're talking to each other. They're translating. They're kind of getting out of their seats. They're moving over. And it took, I'd say, a half hour. I didn't know how long. Um, I'm repeating. I'm asking. Hands going up. By that end of that whatever, half hour, all hands are up. And I made a commitment with them. <laughs> we made a commitment together that we were not going to do anything in these days we have together unless everyone understood what we were talking about. So our commitment to be really clear about what we were saying was so fundamental. And boy, did I learn, number one, you never know what if what you say is being heard regardless of whether you're speaking the same language. Yeah. And let me ask you, so all these different languages, so I'm a gathering that you had many of the different tribes. You had, you probably had Dinka, New Air, you had all the different tribes At, represented. You got it. Okay. Yeah. You, mm. you know, you know this, mm -hmm. these communities. Mm -hmm. And beautiful, they're beautiful uh, people. The kids created, you'll see it, as I said on the video, created their dreams Ten of the 40 kids went to the adult conference um, in the midst of everything. This was in the middle of the future search, and they're doing all the tasks and learning and talking. Um, the decision about the 10 that were going to go into the, into the uh, adult conference, all of a sudden I hear, well, you decide. You decide. No. You have to mm -hmm. tell us. And, and once again up from inside came who I am in relationship to them. I said, oh, no, mm -hmm. no, 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 mm -hmm. no. Mm -hmm. If I decide, it's only the same old. I said, mm -hmm. you have to decide. Mm -hmm. And they did. I think that's another thing that you taught me is uh, don't do anything for the system that the system can do for itself. Uh, something like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. <laughs> Every time you intervene in a way that you're kind of stroking your own ego, right? Every time you intervene um, too soon, uh, quote unquote, too smart, you're depriving somebody else of, in that in that group of, I just, the, of the opportunity mm -hmm. to do it. I just want to say, Sandra, actually, that principle, because I learned that from you long ago, and it became a primary parenting principle for me. Ah, <laughs> a very ah, good one. Tell me. Tell well, me. I just kept repeating it to myself, you know, uh, can my children do this for themselves? And of okay. course, they're changing all the time. And my, yeah. you know, my answer six months ago might have been, no, they can't. And then six months forward is, you know, they can really take care of this. So don't do anything for them that they can do for themselves. And uh, that's so yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Because what you're also acknowledging and, and being flexible about, and this is another thing I say is at the heart of it. You know, the rigid structures, the walls we put up, the, you know, the, what we put in concrete as if it's going to last forever. Um, that's, that isn't reality because mm. we are changing and growing and mm. you are creating conditions or structures that are flexible in response to your kids. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So, um, it, tell me if you can, any more like things about this like how it rolled out or, uh, you know, if you, again, we're always fighting time a little bit here, but, you know, well, just, I, yeah. I, I, you know, I think, I was thinking about that. And, and with all of the stories, which I tell often, um, what is it that I really want to uh, bring to this great opportunity? Susan, I'll tell you, we have a mutual admiration society thing going here because I have such deep respect for what you're doing. Oh, thank you. I, I really, that. I mean, you are carrying stories to a world of people. Um, and these stories are about creating, a, a, a creating a more humane world. And I mean, that's the essence of it. And, and so I was... I appreciate that, Sandra. Thank you. Oh, I appreciate you for doing this. Um, and thank you for, for inviting me. Mm. Um, because when we think about this world we're living in, I'm, you know, 
need not even be said. We're living in under conditions of nonstop change. I mm-hmm. mean, it's uh, mm-hmm. it's it's boggling and increasing diversity. Um, because whether people our, whether people like that or not, that's just the yeah, reality. I mean, mm-hmm. That is their reality. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, we have to do something different because transforming a system means you have to start by doing something transformative in, in the beginning. Um, you can't repeat old patterns and believe that things are going to change. Um, and, and people only change if they do something they never did before. And uh, I, hmm. you know, I want to yeah. quote a friend of mine who's been a passionate advocate for civil rights in Northern Ireland in her lifetime. Her name's Bernadette McCallisky. And I heard her saying, um, uh, she said, we have, we keep fighting old arguments along old lines that have shown not to work. And she says, well, increasingly and inevitably, we face a very basic question about what are we going to choose as a global society? Are we going to be the kind of world that looks at people drowning in the Mediterranean and says, it's not my fault? Are we going to be the kind of world that looks at people dying in Syria and leave it to maniacal leaders who care more about their egos than about children who are being shot to death in the streets? And Susan, I believe, and I know you do too, that we need new conversations and new ways of coming together because we really have to decide if we want a world where human rights are about economic rights about social rights, um, and it's possible. It's really possible. I go into despair because I'm, as all of us, feel how destabilized our world is today. But then I come back to the work that, that many of us are doing to support people out of their dark places. And in so many places, people are building communities that are sustainable, culturally, health-wise, socially, economically. So I know that even when things are bleak and this world is so destabilized that under the right conditions, people can build a a bright future. Mm. I believe that Mm -hmm. deeply. Mm -hmm. And any one of us who do this work or seek to do this work, if we have a set of principles that we believe will enable people to deal with their tough problems, our collective strength will come in never sacrificing those principles and to stay with the work. So um, if, yeah, I, I, yeah. I just want to say, because mm-hmm. I, I've said this before, mm-hmm. but it's so important. When we make the circle bigger, things get better. What a line. That's a great and line. And when we make the circle smaller, mm-hmm. things get worse. Mm-hmm. So I know it's in us. We can, we can make the circle bigger. <laughs> So if you were thinking, you know, uh, particularly, I mean, there are many different kinds of people that listen to this, but particularly younger people, if, if, if you were thinking what your core message to them uh, or words of wisdom, I think you've just said it, but I'm wondering I think, if you could yeah. say, it, say it again, you know, or, or, you know, what would that be? Like, what would um, you want them to make sure they were thinking about or understanding? Well, as I said, um, ground in what you believe. Uh, Learn, um, uh, find, discover what is in your heart and and in you to help people build capacity, transform their capacity to act. Um, And hold to it. Don't shortchange, don't cut corners. Um, Stay strong in your belief system because with every opportunity, when when we can do locally, we do whatever is in our sphere of influence, uh, hold the meetings that are healthy meetings where people can accomplish what they have uh, set out to accomplish, then each of us doing that will make this world a, a more just, a more humane, a more sustainable, a more livable a more reasonable planet where we can live with our differences, um, it, it, it contain our differences, uh, and, and, and move forward together. Because unless we are able 
to manage that frustration that difference always holds. Unless we're able to hold our differences and move together on our shared aspiration, um, we we don't have we don't have much of a future. But I really know that we can do that. We have it in us, and 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 never give up that hope and promise. All right. Well, that's a beautiful place to stop. I I know that people can find you. I, I'm going to post your bio and the future search and your email and the future search network information. And I really encourage the listeners to, I mean, this woman is a wealth of knowledge and we've only just scratched the surface. The books that she's written are really some of the best I've ever read on the processes of what we're talking about. Um, So Sandra, really, thank you so much for your time and your articulate self. Um, And um, yeah, look forward to what you continue to create in the years to come. Susan, it's a joy being with you, and and I thank you as well. And thank you to everyone who's, we are all going to make this world a a place we want to live in. So thanks for having this podcast and doing the work you do as well. All right. Okay, terrific. Bye-bye for now. Bye, Susan. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Peacebuilding Podcast. Check out thepeacebuildingpodcast.com for show notes and for more great information and resources. Please email your comments, suggestions, and ideas to susan at thepeacebuildingpodcast.com. And join me next time for more great thinking, innovations, and ideas to take our planet to the next level. 